Well, good morning and welcome to part four of our Against the Odds series. And this is a, a series that we've been doing walking through the letter that Paul wrote to the church in Thessalonica, which is one of the things I love about preaching through books of the Bible is I feel like we get to know who the people are that were a part of this story, who the people in Thessalonica are. And, and this whole church sprang out of a very small window of time. Paul and Silas were sent out by God to start churches in Gentile areas. And, and if you've not been with us before, if Gentile is not a word you're familiar with, basically you have Jews and then you have Gentiles. So if you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile because the Jews were God's chosen people. Israel, anybody that was not a part of the Jews were Gentiles. That's just kind of their general calling for that. And early on in the Old Testament and when they believed what was happening with the Messiah and the promises of God, in their minds, they thought that the promises of God were only for the Jews. But really, God intended it for all people, all creation, the Gentiles included. And the Jews had to kind of expand their mind on that. That was a new thing. And Paul and Silas were leading the way, taking Jesus to the Gentile regions. They were missionaries. They they went out on these journeys uh, to tell people about Jesus, of God's love for them. God chose the Jews to be the gateway to him through Jesus. And so Paul and Silas were doing that, and they were about three to four weeks into ministering or telling people about Jesus in Thessalonica, sharing that in the synagogues and, and everything before persecution came. People were imprisoned, and Paul and Silas ended up needing to leave because of that persecution. And we know from what we've learned and, and through the book of Acts that on this journey, there were Jews that were following where Paul and Silas went and causing issues, saying some lies about them, saying that they were trying to overthrow the government, and all of these things, and causing them problems where riots would happen. In Philippi, we read about that. They were imprisoned because of this, and, and so it was happening all over. Well, after they left Philippi, they went to Thessalonica. They started telling people about Jesus. Some people started to believe. They were staying at the home of, of a family uh, named Jason and his family. And while they were staying in that home, these Jews came to Thessalonica and started telling lies about Paul and Silas, telling them that they were trying to overthrow the king and all of these things. And had the family that Paul and Silas were staying with thrown into jail. I don't know where Paul and Silas were, but obviously they were not at the house at the time. And so all of a sudden, this family's thrown into jail, there's persecution. And when they released them from jail, Paul and Silas, when talking with everybody, felt like it would be to everybody's best interest if they were to leave so that there wouldn't be more persecution, so that more families would not be in danger, that they would leave. They had to trust that God was going to do something there. That's what was happening at that time. Now look, everywhere they went, the enemy resisted what they were doing. The fact that they were trying to share Jesus with the Gentiles. The enemy would resist it. Look, Acts chapter 17. I want to kind of give you a little bit of that next story, because we've been this started in Acts 16, 17, 18, goes on through there, that whole journey that Paul and Silas were on. 
But Acts chapter 17, verses 10 through 15, I know what you're thinking. I thought this was about Thessalonians, but I want to give you a little bit of the story. Because this is where this fits into the book of Acts. Look at Acts 17, verse 10. It says, That very night, the believers sent Paul and Silas to Berea. This is in Thessalonica. They had just gotten out of jail. They had been arrested. Now, Paul and Silas hadn't, but the people that he was staying with, the family did. So that very night, the believers sent Paul and Silas to Berea. When they arrived there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. And the people of Berea were more open-minded than those in Thessalonica. And they listened eagerly to Paul's message. They searched the scriptures day after day to see if Paul and Silas were teaching the truth. As a result, many Jews believed, as did many prominent Greek men and women. But when some Jews in Thessalonica learned that Paul was preaching the word of God in Berea, they went there and stirred up trouble. The believers acted at once, sending Paul onto the coast while Silas and Timothy remained behind. Those escorting Paul went with him all the way to Athens, and then they returned to Berea with the instructions for Silas and Timothy to hurry and join him. Now look, the reason I shared this story, because you see where from Philippi to Thessalonica to Berea, Jews were following them and stirring up trouble for them. They were being instruments of the enemy, causing resistance to the gospel being spread, to the good news, to people learning about Jesus, about the freedom and redemption, that there is a God that came to the earth that died for our sins so that we could be in relationship with Him. But He not only died, He rose again. That good news, this was new to the Gentiles. To the Jews, they knew about the Messiah, but they thought about a political Messiah, not one that would come and love all people. So the enemy used them to resist the work that Paul and Silas were doing, and Timothy, their young assistant, was coming along with them. So I hope you see this picture that was taking place. Something that, that we don't often think about is, we think, well, if God's called me to do something, that it's going to go smooth. Well, quite Often, that's the opposite of what happens. Now, you can have God's favor and supernatural things will happen, and you'll, you'll work through on things that, that should not have happened, and God will do miraculous things, but it'll be anything but easy, and the enemy will always resist. And that's the first point today, is the enemy's resistance. Paul wrote this letter to kind of say, hey, guys, I am so proud of you. I did not think you would even survive. I don't know how you did after only three or four weeks of us being there. Remember, they didn't have scripture. They didn't have any believers left behind to help them to grow. It was only through the power of the Holy Spirit causing what was planted in their hearts to grow. But look at what Paul says in, in chapter 2, verses 17 through 20. We're going to start right there. We're going to finish uh, chapter 2 and go on to chapter 3 today. But look at this, it says, Dear brothers and sisters, after we separated from you for a little while, though our hearts never left you, we tried very hard to come back because of our intense longing to see you again. We wanted very much to come to you. And I, Paul, tried again and again, but Satan prevented us. After all, what gives us hope and joy and what will be our proud reward and crown as we stand before our Lord Jesus when he returns it is you. Yes, you are our pride and joy. As you plant seeds, as you water seeds, as you share your life in the gospel with other people, 
Understand that the enemy is going to resist that. He does not want anyone to come to know Jesus. His goal, because he already knows the end, he knows he's damned to hell. He's trying to take as many people with him as possible, as many of God's creation as possible, to hurt God as much as possible. So he's going to resist. When Paul's talking about, hey, Satan resisted us, he's not specifically, I, I don't think, not anything that I've read, he's not talking about physically Satan stopping him. But look at the persecution that was happening. Everywhere he went, Jews would follow him and cause trouble. And it was keeping him from going back to the Thessalonians. Paul was a well-known person. He was a very identifiable person. That's why even later on, we're going to read, he sends Timothy back. He doesn't go himself because he knew that if he were to go back, that trouble would follow him very specifically. But he worked around it. But look, I want you to understand that when we're following Jesus, when we're out there making disciples, doing the things that God's called us to do, there is going to be resistance. Now, it may not be imprisonment, it may not be anything like that, but the enemy is going to resist what we do. Things are going to happen, resistance is, go is going to come, setbacks are going to happen because the enemy is going to do everything in his power to stop what we're doing. Look at 1 Peter 5, 8, 9. It says this, Stay alert. Watch out. Your great enemy, the devil, he prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him. Be strong in your faith. Remember that your family of believers all over the world are going through the same kind of suffering you are. Since Satan was cast out of heaven, he came to this earth, he has been working hard to destroy God's creation. That's just, it's a fact. It's a part of this. And I know a lot of believers don't believe in Satan. They don't believe in hell. I don't understand how you can not believe in both because God is very clear on this. There is hell. There is Satan. Now, I want to give you a little information. Satan is not God. He is not the opposite of God in the sense of he's not another God. He is not all-powerful. He is not omnipresent. He's not everywhere. And he doesn't know everything. Only God does that. Now, Satan has demons and those things that work with him. There is a spiritual realm out there. And he does send demons out to resist. That is a real thing. But Satan does not know your mind. He does not know all of these things. He works against what we're trying to do. So don't confuse God and Satan as being equal powers. And I think sometimes we do. We treat him that way. I just wanted you to be clear on that. But Satan has been doing this forever. He's been resisting what God is doing. He's been resisting those that are following him. Look, our church has always felt the resistance of the enemy. You take a few steps forward and it seems like you get blocked and difficulties come and all of that stuff. Everybody that follows God will feel the power of the enemy resisting them. It's just a matter of fact. Paul was concerned for the Thessalonians. He knew that the enemy was going to attack them. He knew that their faith was so new. It's kind of like when you plant, and I love the parable of the sower, but when you plant, things sprout up. But oftentimes they get killed very quickly because 
maybe the enemy comes and snatches them out, or all of the rocks and thorns and thistles, if you know the story, in life will choke out that new budding seed, that newfound faith. So Paul was concerned. He, he wasn't sure they were going to survive. They were only there a few weeks. They didn't have scripture. They didn't have people guiding them. And yet they grew. Paul longed to get back to the Thessalonican people so that he could pour into them, so that he could equip them and help them through the struggle that they were going through. Now look at 1 Thessalonians 3, 1 through 10. It says, Finally, when we could stand it no longer, we decided to stay alone in Athens. And we sent Timothy to visit you. He is our brother and God's co-worker in proclaiming the good news of Christ. We sent him to strengthen you, to encourage you in your faith, and to keep you from being shaken by the troubles you are going through. But you know that we are destined for such troubles. Even while we were with you, we warned you that troubles would soon come. And they did, as you well know. That is why we could bear it no longer. I sent Timothy to find out whether your faith was strong. I was afraid that the tempter had gotten the best of you and that our work had been useless. But now Timothy has just returned, bringing us good news about your faith and love. He reports that you always remembered our visit with joy and that you want to see us as much as we want to see you. So we have been greatly encouraged in the midst of troubles and suffering, dear brothers and sisters, because you have remained strong in your faith, it gives us new life to know that you are standing firm in the Lord. How we thank God for you. Because of you, we have great joy as we enter God's presence. Night and day, we pray earnestly for you, asking God to let us see you again to fill in the gaps of your faith. Paul's concern for the believers is evident in sending Timothy. Paul could not return himself. They would recognize him that persecution. So he sent Timothy and Timothy came back with a encouraging report, with a good report that, look, not only are they doing well, but they're flourishing. They were excited. There's something I want you to take out of this because we see Paul as this super apostle. But think about this. Paul knew that the groundwork had been laid, but yet it could go either way. It was not a sure thing because they weren't there very long. He doubted, or at least was concerned, whether they would make it or not. Was it a lack of faith? Was it... And, he knew that the enemy would come in and try and steal what was there. He had to trust that God was going to do it. And, and look, he was concerned. He was anxious. So he sent Timothy to find out because he wanted to know. Take courage in that. This is Paul, writer of most of the New Testament. He still struggled with some of those same things you and I struggle with. The enemy resists and, and, and all of those things come against us. It causes doubt. It causes you to wonder is this going to happen? Take courage in that because even Paul struggled with that. That's what I want you to hear from this. But here's the thing. Doubt is natural. He trusted God for them and continued to do what? Pray for them. And that's the next point. Prayer overcomes doubt. Doubt is natural. Prayer overcomes doubt. He had to trust God for the Thessalonican people. All he could do was pray that God would take the seed that was planted and make it grow. Because remember, it's not us that makes it grow. We plant the seed, we water the seed, but it is God that makes it grow. Paul knew they didn't have all the information. In a perfect world, he would have had months, maybe even years to pour into them. 
In a perfect world, they would have the Bible. They had maybe the Old Testament scriptures. We're not even sure if they had that. There were some Jews there, but most were Gentiles. Due to persecution, they had to trust that the Holy Spirit would fill in the gaps. And he did. All that Paul could do was pray and trust. Now, I want to point out something to you. We're going to talk about prayer for just a minute. Because this is where we kind of, we see everything bombarding us and we shut down. And sometimes we just don't pray. We get so consumed with our anxiety, our fear, our doubt that we don't pray. Prayer is a form of action. When we pray, we're taking action to acknowledge God and our need for Him in all things. Through our prayers, we are joining with the will of God and thus putting our trust in Him that no matter what the outcome is, knowing that He's going to act in our best interest and for the best solution in that situation. That's all they could do. They had to trust that God was going to do everything that He could that he was going to work those things out, that they had to trust in him. Romans 8, 26 through 28 is one that we've, we've talked about before. It's, it's a pretty common scripture. If you've been around church for a while, you've probably heard this before. But Romans 8, 26 says this, And the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying, for the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose for them. I love that passage because in our weakness, the Holy Spirit helps us to pray. In our weakness, the Holy Spirit fills in that gap, even in our own lives and in those lives of those that we're praying for. And I love the end of this. God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God. Doesn't mean it's going to work out the way that you want it to. That's a key. Sometimes we pray and we pray like God's a vending machine, that if we pray exactly this way, that God's going to give us exactly what we pray for. No, God is going to work out our prayers and the things that were happening according to His will and what's best for us and all involved, which may be very different than what we actually pray for. God, we have to trust Him in that. See, that's one of the things that we have to understand. We might pray that God and God choose to do something different. Now think about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. If you know that story in the Old Testament, they stood up to Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar wanted them to bow to the statue of him. And they said, no, we're not going to worship. We're not going to worship your statue. We're not going to bow. We only bow to God. And so what was the penalty? To be thrown in this fiery furnace, to be basically burned alive. And the thing that they said to God, if you can look it up in the Old Testament, the thing that they said to, to Nebuchadnezzar is this, Nebuchadnezzar, we're never going to bow. Whether our God chooses to save us or not, we will not bow down to your idol. See, that's a prayer of faith. That's a prayer of trust that no matter what the outcome is, our outcome is we don't want to be burned up. But if God chooses to let us be burned up, we're okay with that because we trust him. They knew that their eternity was secure in him. They were his. The worst thing that could happen to us in this life is that we lose this life and then we're in eternity with God forever. Now, that's not our goal. That's not what we want. 
But we have to trust God in all situations. Another thing to think about, and I have this conversation with people all the time, to say, well, man, I prayed for this. I prayed over and over and over again that God would change this person's heart. Maybe it's a marriage or, or whatever it is. Maybe it's children or, or a relationship that you're struggling with and you're praying for that person and praying for that person and they go on and do what they were doing anyway. Does that mean that God didn't answer your prayer? No. One thing that we have to remember when we're praying for other people is God has given them free will just like He gave you and I free will. And they can choose to resist God. And if they choose to resist God, no matter what God does, that outcome will be contrary to that because of their resistance. That doesn't change God's power. That doesn't change anything. God's giving us the free will to do that. So when we're praying for people, when we're praying for relationships, we need to be diligent in it. We need God. The Holy Spirit can break through. That's that's what He does. But if that person puts up a wall, if their hearts get harder and harder and harder, and they choose not to yield to the Spirit of God, God's not going to force them. And that's hard for us to understand. That's where some of the doubt and some of the anger towards God comes in because we're like, God, why didn't you change their heart? But if God just changed people's hearts, if God just controlled people, we lose our free will. And then we just become robots or, you know, something other than what God intended for us to be, for us to choose Him and to love Him. No matter what those situations are, God will protect us and keep us in His hands. Even God will protect you and help you through every situation. Trust is the key. The question is, do you trust God? It's a big thing. We have to trust God in all things, especially those things that are out of our control. But even those things that are in our control, we have to trust God for them. Look at Psalm 56, 1 through 4. Oh God, have mercy on me, for people are hounding me. My foes attack me day and night. This is David writing this when the Moabites were coming against him. I'm constantly hounded by those who slander me, and many are boldly attacking me. But when I am afraid, I will put my trust in you. I praise God for what he has promised. I trust in God. So why should I be afraid? What can mere mortals do to me? I love that passage. I love that he said, look, have mercy on me because these people are just coming at me. They're bombarding me. I'm sure the mental attacks as much as the physical attacks were wearing David down. Yet, he said, when I'm afraid, I put my trust in you. What can mere mortals do to me? Man, if we could get to that place where we looked at life that way, like, look, our eternity, this life is just a a second. We have all eternity in the presence of God. There's nothing in this life that really can hurt us. And look at Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. This is one maybe you've heard, and I think it's something that you need to repeat often. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Let me say that again. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek His will in all that you do, and He will show you which path to take. Sometimes we fill ourselves with anxiety by trying to figure everything out instead of going to God in prayer and trusting Him first to guide you through that situation. 
See, that's where true peace comes in is when we give those things to God in prayer, when we trust Him to help us through it. And when we take a step back, often those solutions come through the Holy Spirit. He guides and directs us. But we sit there and try and figure out all the pieces and make all these plans and create anxiety and trouble for ourselves. Paul and Silas understood these scriptures. These are Old Testament. They were there. They would know them, especially Paul, who was a Pharisee, who knew the law, who knew scriptures. They understood that God was with them. Even in the midst of persecution, they were able to trust in God. Paul did the one thing that he could do when it came to the Thessalonians. Pray and trust. I know that's two things. They kind of go together but he could pray and trust. And as a result, the church flourished against all odds. I want to wrap up with this last point, Paul's prayer. What did he pray for them? And I think there's some interesting things that we can learn from this. As he's closing out this section of the letter, this is like the opening, the first three chapters. This is a short letter. But it's really the opening, kind of explaining how proud he is of them, how they've grown, how people have talked about them how they've, they've grown against the odds and all that stuff. He's going to finish out the letter with some instructions and filling in some of those gaps. But right now he's wrapping this up and listen to his prayer in uh, chapter 3, verses 11 through 13. It says, May God, our Father and our Lord Jesus, bring us to you very soon. And may the Lord make your love for one another and for all people grow and overflow, just as our love for you overflows. May he, as a result, make your heart strong, blameless and holy as you stand before God our Father when our Lord Jesus comes again with all his holy people. Amen. He prayed that their love for one another and for others would grow. That's the number one thing he prayed for. The same thing Jesus prayed for, by the way. He prayed for the disciples that they would love one another and that they would love others. That's been the key of all of this, that we, if we truly love people, All of the stuff that we go through is to help them to come to know Jesus. We are to be disciple makers. We're to care and love the people that are around us. And he's praying that that love would grow. Because that's really what grows the church. It's what grows all of this. He prayed that their hearts would remain strong and blameless and holy before God. That they would have the inner strength in the midst of persecution to remain strong. Did you notice what he did not pray for? Think about that for a minute. There's something that we, especially in the Western culture and the American church, pray all the time that we don't find in the Apostles' Prayer. Not very often, anyway. He did not pray that they would be safe. Actually, throughout this whole thing, he said, look, you knew troubles were coming. We told you that from the beginning. Following Jesus is not safe. Not in the way that we think of it. We pray safety. We pray hedges of protection. There's nowhere does hedges of protection come up under things. Now, I read out of the Psalms that God is our refuge, that we run into Him, that He protects us in that way. But we're not safe. David was never safe. Saul was trying to kill him at every turn. Others were always trying to kill him. But his refuge was in God because the one... And even Jesus said this, fear fear the one that can destroy both body and soul, which is only God. Man can destroy the body, but then our soul is with him. He prayed for that inner strength. 
He prayed that they would be blameless and holy, that they would stay focused on God, that their love would grow, but he did not pray for their safety. That's us. We do that. The American church, we're all about being safe, but God never promised us to be safe. He promised that he would walk with us, that he would guide us, direct us. And he does shield us and protect us from harm. But think about the people that God's called. He calls many of us into very unsafe places. Because in those unsafe places, there are people that need to know the love of Jesus. And the enemy's always going to resist us. When we focus on being safe, we often lose sight of what God's called us to do. And we live in fear and anxiety rather than trusting the one that can get us through all things. He will hold us securely in his hands. Basically, we trust God not only with our lives, but our eternity. Look at Psalm 91, 1 and 2. Those who live in the shelter of the Most High will find rest in the shadow of the Almighty. This I declare about the Lord. He alone is my refuge, my place of safety. He is my God, and I trust in Him. That's the only place that we're truly safe is in the presence of God. Everything around us could be resistance from the enemy or turmoil or whatever. But we find our safety and peace in Him. So let me wrap up with this. The enemy will resist us. When we follow Jesus, the enemy is going to resist us. Now remember in Ephesians it says that our enemy is not flesh and blood. People are not our enemy. But the principalities of this unseen dark world. Basically Satan and those are with him. Find that in Ephesians. People are not our enemy. Our enemy is Satan. Prayer overcomes doubt. Prayer overcomes doubt. Yes, it's natural to doubt. It's natural to wonder. It's natural to sit there and go, man, are we going to get through this? Is our church going to survive? Is our, you know, what's going to happen in this situation? Those are natural things. But yet in the very end, we have to pray and trust that God's in control. That's where we find peace. That's where that peace that passes all understanding comes when we pray and trust that God's going to see us through, that He's going to provide, that He's going to get us to where we need to be. And then the final thing is we need to, this is the one thing that Jesus prayed for us, this is Paul praying for us, praying for the Thessalonians, that we need to grow in our love for one another and for others while we trust that God's going to care for all of our needs and everything around us. That's the key. So really, it's prayer. It's leaning into these scriptures that we've talked about today that just reminds us that God is our shelter, that God is our refuge, that He is the one that provides for us. He's the one that cares for us. That our faith in Him gives us security. Remember, we have been branded as His, the Holy Spirit's been given to us. We are His children. Nobody can take that away from us. This life can be taken away, but we are His. We can stand firmly in that. And that when we plant and water seeds, the enemy is going to resist it. The Holy Spirit's job is to make it to grow. And when we pray and resist the enemy, there's a scripture, I didn't even read it, resist the devil and he will flee from you. When we pray and resist the enemy, it gives the opportunity for the Holy Spirit to grow that seed. Paul prayed for the Thessalonican church. It grew against the odds. He prayed that they would grow in love and inner strength, 
that they would be strong and firmly planted right where they are, even though they didn't have scripture. He knew he was going to have to fill in gaps. That's what this letter is about, filling in the gaps of some of those things. He sent Timothy to help in that. He knew that those things were going to happen. He doubted. He's like, man, I don't know if this is going to make it. But yet he prayed and trusted God. Prayed and trusted God. That's what I want for you today. Man, no matter what's coming against you, no matter what chaos is around you, pray and trust God in the midst of that difficulty because He will go with you. He doesn't promise you safety. He promises that He'll never leave you nor forsake you, that He'll always be with you, that He will always provide for you, that He will care for you in the midst of whatever you're dealing with. If you're struggling with that today, man, hit that prayer button. Tell us about it. Let us pray with you. I know many of you are struggling with that right now. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you. I thank you for your word, that we can put our trust in your word. Lord, we know that we're not safe in the sense of just what we think of safety, but we know that we're securely in your arms, that our refuge is in you that you wrap your wings around us, that we're protected from anything the enemy tries to do to us. Lord, you always work things for our benefit when we're following you. And Lord, I pray that you would keep us in your hands today, that you would help us to grow in our faith and in our trust in you, that you would help us to grow in our love for each other and for others. That, Lord, that prayer that Paul had for the church in Thessalonica, that it would be for us as well. And, Lord, help us to pray for others in that same way. Give us the strength to trust you more today. Help us in the places that we doubt and where our faith is weak. And give us strength, Lord. We trust in you and we thank you for what you're doing. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for worshiping with us today. We love you and we'll see you next time.